Well, good morning. Last week, uh, we began a, uh, a sermon on sacred friendships. And this was the first time that it ever happened to me. Right during worship and in the midst of communion, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just saying, slow down. Slow down. Just don't rush through this. I, I had a lot of material I wanted to cover and I was ready to push through it. And he said, no. So what ended up happening was I only preached half the sermon last week. And I, and I feel like in part because this is such an important subject that we need to weigh into, that we need to think about deeply, that we need to pray into, that he wanted us to, to sit in there in that moment and then finish this morning. So what we did last week was we looked at the relationship between Jonathan and David from 1 Samuel 18. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 20, but as you find 1 Samuel 20, let me just read to you those verses, and we're talking about a sacred friendship, a soul connect that happened between Jonathan and David that I think has profound significance for you and for me. In the first four verses of 1 Samuel chapter 18 reads, after David had finished talking with Saul, Saul's the king, Jonathan is the son of the king, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. One in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant. This is a covenant of friendship, of sacred friendship with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. We, we saw this beautiful connection and this beautiful relationship, this sacred relationship, sacred friendship, bud between Jonathan and David. And one of the things that we noticed is actually, even though there's very intimate language here, um, this translation doesn't quite capture um, how intimate the, the Hebrew is at this point. It says, and um, uh, he, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. A more literal translation is Jonathan knit his soul to David's soul. Think about that for a moment. Does that happen? Is that the kind of relationships that we actually can have with one another? And this isn't the context of the marriage. This is a context of a friendship. And yet there's this beautiful soul connection of depth of intimacy, and we're just given a few verses, and, and yet in this beautiful way, we see Jonathan initiating, and he has this soul connect, this sacred connection with David. We talked about, in times of the New Testament, in the Greek language, there was four primary words that they used for love. 
And you'll remember some of those. One is agape love. Many of us have heard of that agape love. And oftentimes that is the love of God the Father for us and our love back to him. But also, remember it's a little bit convoluted because we're meant to love one another as God loves us. So that agape is shared love as well. The second one is eros, which is more of that sensual or romantic love. And that's reserved only, scripturally speaking, in a godly way, just in the context of marriage. Okay? Uh, the, the New Testament actually doesn't use eros, but when we read in um, like the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon and that marriage relationship, that's where a lot of that um, romantic love comes. You read through that book and you blush a few times while you read scripture, okay? Um, then you've got storge, which is a family love, the, uh, a family affection of a, a father would have for his son or a mother for his son or a daughter for father, back and forth, that family love. And then finally, phileo, which is brotherly love, where we get the, the Philadelphia, the brotherly love. And the New Testament says we are to be a people of a love that the world really does not know a different kind of love that reflects phileo, reflects storge, and yet filled with the agape, the love of God. And that is meant to be a part of our relationships. Remember, we applied it, we talked about it in the context of marriages. Our marriages are meant to have those soul connections unlike the world's marriages. Even our relationship with our kids, we can have this kind of family love, this brotherly love, this, this different kind of love that the, the world sees because it's filled with the agape love of God. In fact, in a neat way, um, when Paul is talking about relationships within the church, he combines two of these words in Romans 12.10. Um, see that love, phileo and storge are combined. Love one another as a family loves one another. As there's brotherly love, one another with this brotherly affection. Why is it different? Because the love of God should fill our relationships at every level. Including friendships here in the church. Love one another, outdo one another, showing honor for one another. There's a, a soul connect that God says you can have with many people. Now the second is, is true here, where we saw that there was a repetition in those few verses that said that Jonathan loved David, do you remember from last week, as, how did he love him? As himself. And we realized, what, that, that is the second greatest commandment. When, when a religious leader approached Jesus and said, of all of scripture, what's the most important commandment? He says, first is, love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is very similar. Love your, as yourself. He's saying that, and right here we see Jonathan. This isn't just meant to be a Jonathan and David thing and us go, oh, that's really cool. How awesome. 
Great for them, too bad for us. No, he's modeling the second most important commandment. He's modeling that we can love one another with the same kind of agape or storge or phileo love. That's what God is calling us and inviting us into in that way. We get to love our neighbors, love our friends, as we would love ourselves in this beautiful way. Now, here's the things, friends, is one is I'm convinced that we're not very good at this love stuff, that it's very easy for the world and for our schedules and for junk to get in the way of loving one another as we would love ourselves, right? Would you agree with me? whether it's in the context of how we raise our kids, whether it's loving one another here in the church, whether it's loving in marriage, that, that the, the, the strain of this world gets in the way and it presses on these relationships and oftentimes we fail pretty significantly in terms of that second most important commandment of God. One of the neat things about David and Jonathan is they establish this covenant of sacred friendship and then right away, this relationship is strained. It's, it's attacked. It, it comes under attack. And that's what we're gonna read about is how they handle, they've got this beautiful sacred friendship and yet there becomes an issue and it's strained. And how they handle the strain is so informing and challenging and I would say encouraging for us because all of our relationships, from church relationships, from friendships to relationships at work to marriages come under strain. So let's, pick up this story in chapter 20. If you look at chapter 19, it says Saul, Jonathan's father, king of Israel, tries to kill David. All right? So David, everything he does has the anointing and the favor of God on it. And Saul becomes very, very jealous. And he believes that David is going to threaten his kingship, his position as king over Israel. So he tries to kill David. Jonathan intervenes. He says, Dad, listen, David is a good guy. He's not trying to do this. He serves you. He benefits you. Would you stop trying to kill him? Saul says, okay, I won't do it. We're all good. He gets jealous again. And he tries to kill David again. David goes to Jonathan and says, Jonathan, your dad is trying to kill me again. He's like, no, 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 no. I would know it, no. So they have this disagreement and they're wrestling through that. And they decide, they come up with a strategy that there is a festival, a feast coming up, a new moon feast. And David was expected to be there, but he's gonna be absent. And they say, how Saul, Jonathan's dad, um, how he handles David's absence will tell us if he's trying to kill David or if he's all good, all right? So they come up with this scheme. David will be absent from the new moon feast and we'll see how Saul responds. Now we'll pick up the story in verse eight because David and Jonathan are still talking and David says this to Jonathan, verse eight, chapter 20. As for you... Show kindness to your servant, 
for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. That covenant is what we just read about in chapter 18. You with me? You following me? Okay. Four of you. Great. You with me? Thank you. Okay. If I am guilty, David says, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan says, if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Verse 11, come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father. He's saying, I will find out where my dad is, if he's trying to kill you or not. By this time, the day after tomorrow, if he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan. He's speaking of himself in third person. May the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Jonathan is saying that to David. And now he's going to make a second covenant. First covenant was simply between Jonathan and David. Now Jonathan is going to make a covenant between his whole household, his family line, and that of David's household and family line. He says, so Jonathan, verse 16, made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Again, reiterating the second most important commandment. All right, it's a long story, so we're going to skip a few verses. So David doesn't go to the New Moon Festival and um, Jonathan is there and his absence and Saul is there and he notices David's absence and he asks Jonathan, where's David or the son of Jesse as he refers to himself and uh, he gives the excuse that David came up with. He's gone to Bethlehem. Let's read about Saul, King Saul's response, verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Thanks, dad. That's encouraging. So it wasn't really a mild reaction, was it? Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? That's okay because she's rebellious and perverse, right? So, verse 31. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, he, for he must die. He sounded out his father. His father's trying to kill him. What does he do? He sends word 
They had come up with this elaborate communication that David's hiding behind a stone in a field. Jonathan shoots some arrows, and depending on what he says to a boy to fetch the arrows, tells David where Saul is at. And he communicates uh, creatively to him, and the boy walks away. And listen, let's just end the story here. Verse 41. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times as a sign of respect and honor with his face to the ground. Then they kissed, that brotherly kiss, each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is the witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back into town. So a beautiful story, a challenging story, a beautiful covenant, sacred friendship that is stressed and that is challenged. And friends, I really think that there are some elements that we see in this relationship that are so instructive. If we're going to press into these soul connections with one another, if we're really gonna learn to be a people that have sacred friendships, that the agape love is flowing into these different relationships, I think there's key elements in this story that help us get there and stay there. And the first is this. If you follow along in your outline there, there's a third point that was there from last week and I believe these sacred friendships really are dependent on how we speak to one another. How we communicate to one another. The words that we use. That, that the, our words should be far different than the, how the world speaks to one another. That there should be this authenticity there, there should be this realness. There should be this depth in how we speak to one another, communicating with one another honestly and authentically. The, the, you can't stay in those shallow places of words and expect to have those deep, sacred connections with one another. The Apostle Peter Put it like this. He said, now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine and mutual love, that's the Philadelphia, love, agapeho, one another deeply and from the heart. He's talking about these deeper rivers of if we're gonna really, we can't stick with the weather and sports if we're really gonna have those soul connections, right? Not that weather and sports are, are, are bad. That's just part of our, our relationships, right? We say, boy, it was cold out today, huh? And the snow came, yeah, good. And then we, and then we moved to sports, right? We, we talk about that. Don't like to talk about the Patriots. Well, some of you do. But 
yeah, most of us don't. Not baseball's coming up. All that, all that's good stuff, right? That's not language of the soul. That's not communication of the soul. That if we're going to have these sacred friendships, it takes time, it takes space, that we have to go at a deeper level. I had a conversation this past week. I was going to share it. I, I was asking permission for, to share it anonymously, but um, he said, go ahead and share my name and get as many people praying for me as possible. I said, all right, we'll do it again. So uh, J.R. Longshore, some of you are on the prayer list, and J.R. Uh, was diagnosed. He had a large tumor on his spine, and he went under surgery for 17 hours this, this weekend, um, 17 hours. Praise God, he's doing okay. They got at least 90% of the tumor, and he's in recovery. Please pray for his ongoing recovery. He's up in Denver. But J.R. and I connected uh, a few days before his surgery, and we talked, and we talked about uh, board games. We talked about uh, Star Wars. Um, we talked about Big Bang Theory. And uh, I was very impressed. He out-nerded me in almost every area. It was really, that's hard to do. And he did it. Outside of Star Wars, every other area, he out-nerded me. Absolutely. All right. And that was good conversation. I could have I hung in that conversation a long time. Right? I like that conversation. That's not what JR needed. He needed us to go a little bit deeper. So, so JR, how, how are you doing spiritually with this diagnosis, the prognosis, the surgery? And, and JR is just real and authentic. I don't know, Eric. I, Usually I can figure this stuff out. I can't figure this out. I, I can't get my mind around it. And so we talked about what the Lord might be saying, what the Lord might be doing. We talked about real fears and real concerns. You see, it's at that deeper level that's, that's the soul language. I see David and... And Jonathan, even when they're disagreeing, even when Jonathan's like, no, 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 my dad's, he's good, no. But, and they work through that. And they, I mean, you have this almost whole chapter of two warriors talking back and forth, right? That's like unheard of. They're communicating at this deeper level. Friends, I think it's easiest to stay on that shallow. And that's fine, that's good. There's some relationships that we're called to dive deep in, that we're called to experience God's truth and authenticity at those deep levels. Make sense? Now, the next point is, is, is very connected to the first one, and that is related to this. I would call it the million-dollar question of this story. Um, when I first read this, well, recently read it in preparation for the sermon, this was the question I had. 
why in the world would the crown prince of Israel, Jonathan, give up his throne to David? Why would he choose, from a worldly sense, that does not make any sense. Why would he choose David, loyalty to David, over loyalty to his father? And while he chooses loyalty to a friend over his very own dad, he's also giving away his kingdom. Why would he do that? The thing that struck me first and foremost is that Jonathan was making a decision not based on who he liked more, not because he liked David more than his father. He was making that decision based on what was right, what was true. Look at verse 8. Even David, when David is saying, would you show kindness? And he says, if I have sinned, this is David, if I have sinned, In other words, if I am trying to take your father's kingdom away from him, if I'm doing something that lacks integrity, David says, don't worry about handing me over to your dad. Just you kill me right out. You would be right. He's saying, yeah, don't worry about giving me over to your dad. If I'm wrong, kill me right now because you're not held to the sacred covenant if I'm wrong. And Jonathan says, I will not do that. I will not compromise my integrity by choosing loyalty to my father over loyalty to you. And I won't violate my own conscience by grappling and holding on to the kingdom. But I'll do what's right. I think Jonathan, Jonathan deserves so much credit for choosing what was right in this circumstance. I had a friend who was talking to me about another, what he would call kindred spirit relationship, soul connection. And he was friends with this person a very long time, very close relationship. And yet this kindred spirit friend was doing something and beginning a relationship that he did not agree with. And this friend was asking him to bless this, friend, this relationship. And my friend was really wrestling with whether th- this was a close, close relationship and he felt like if he didn't bless this new relationship that he would lose a, a kindred spirit friend. And he was wrestling deeply with what to do. And he felt like to bless it, he would be violating his own conscience and his own integrity and what he believed was true and right. And this is what my friend ended up doing. He he decided to communicate love, affection to this kindred spirit friend. He'd engage in the relationship, he'd care, he'd pray for, he'd be there but he wouldn't bless it. He wouldn't bless it. And I'd like to say the relationship went great and his close friend was okay with it. It wasn't. It was just okay. It was hard. But he was choosing what was right in the midst of that. Now, we were talking about this in our uh, Kingdom Life group 
and asking this million-dollar question. And that was my answer, that, that Jonathan uh, came up uh, and, and chose what was right. But there was another one of our small group members that gave another answer that I thought was excellent. It was really good. And so I've kind of changed this fill-in-the-blank. It's my sermon, so I get to tweak it, all right, even though it's the second, right? But what this, what, what this small group member said is, you know, I think that in part, Jonathan, he saw what God was doing in the midst of this. And he chose God's will over his own will. Isn't that good? That might even be a little bit better than my observation. I hate to admit it. But he saw... Jonathan saw how God was working in David, in the nation of Israel, in his own relationship. Instead of choose his will, instead of Jonathan going, hey, listen, David, I am the crown prince of Israel. Everybody knows. Get with the program here. That was Jonathan's will. That was Jonathan's plan. But Jonathan sees the work of the Lord and he chooses the will of the Father, his heavenly Father, rather than the will of his earthly Father. You see that? It's recognizing the Lord's work and voice in others and choosing obedience, choosing even at personal cost to ourselves. I think this is incredibly Admirable of Jonathan. Jonathan has so much to lose and yet he sees what's right and he's seeing God's will in the midst of this context and he chooses God's will over his own or that of Saul's, his father. I think this is a distinction that needs to be made in sacred friendships that's different from our other friendships and relationships that's outside of the Christian community, that's outside of those that we share this walk and journey of faith is. I think what is core to sacred friendships is that we're learning to identify God's work and God's voice in the lives of others and one another. David Brenner wrote a a very good book, highly recommended, Sacred Companions. And he was writing about sacred friendships and he says this, the task of spiritual friends is to help us discern the presence, the will, and the leading of the spirit of God. Isn't that a great definition? Let me read that again. The task of the spiritual friends is to help us discern the presence, the will, and the leading of the Spirit of God. Do you remember uh, a number of weeks ago, some of you were here for Vision Sunday, and we were talking about the church of Antioch. And, and the apostles in Jerusalem heard that God was stirring things up in Antioch, so they send one of their own. They send the apostle Barnabas. And when Barnabas comes to this new church, this new community of faith, he recognizes and identifies the grace of God at work in their midst. It says, in fact, 
Uh, in Acts 11, it says, When he, Barnabas, arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and engaged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. In other words, this apostle, this mature Christian, goes to this early church, this very young Christians, and he says, that is God. Right there, that's the grace of God. Stay true to that. Lean into that. Live into that. I was just having a, a conversation with a newer friend. And he, I see it, I hear in his voice, the Spirit of God is stirring in him and drawing him to himself. And to this friend, I said, that's God. That's the Spirit of God at work in your soul. Go with that. Can you imagine if our relationships, if our friendships wasn't just about us giving our opinions to one another. Don't we give our opinions enough? I don't think we need to increase on the giving of our opinions, right? How awesome would it be if for the sake of one another, we were listening and recognizing the work of the Spirit in the hearts, in the souls, in the minds of one another. A key part of sacred friendships. We've uh, been in leadership development and Beth was leading us in uh, uh, the shepherding stream of ministry and and she introduced this exercise to many of us called three-way listening. And so we broke up into pairs and we were listening to... Uh, one another share a difficult moment, a strain. And then we're not only listening to the person sitting across from us, we're also listening to what was going on in our own soul. And we're listening, probably most importantly than anything, what's the Lord saying? What's the Lord doing? How's he at work in this circumstance? And I have to say it was so refreshing to have someone not simply give their opinion or thoughts, but my, my partners right here, Becky, but she listened on behalf of the Holy Spirit. And what's God doing in this circumstance? It was refreshing. It was beautiful. What would it look like if we started moving at those deeper levels and saying, what is going on with your soul? What's going on with your heart? Can, can we talk about that? Can we listen together for God's voice in this circumstance? You know what? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, that, there's a mystery there, but I know Jesus knows. And Jesus is interceding for you. Can we pray his prayers for you. Friends, I think that that would bring a depth, this, this spiritual depth to our relationships that would meet that, that longing and desire that God has placed within us. Final point from David and Jonathan. Um, final observation. It comes from a Always pay attention. This is a Bible study principle. When you're studying the Bible, pay attention to repeated words. There was a repetition of the second greatest commandment. 
He loved him as himself. That was a repetition there. Did you see that? There was another word that was repeated frequently. Did you notice that at all? First, we saw it in in, uh, David's words to Jonathan in chapter 20, verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. As for you, show kindness to your servant. Now jump to verse 14. That was David to Jonathan. Now Jonathan's words to David was this, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I might not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. What's the word? It rhymes with kindness. Yes, I like that, Josh. That was good. We'll stay with that. All right, yeah. Why? Why is that word all over the place? Why does he keep repeating that? Let me teach you a Hebrew word. We've learned some Greek words. There's a Hebrew word, and it actually is my favorite Hebrew word because there's a lot of Greek words, a lot of English words that that fill out this, this deep and abiding Hebrew word. It's, it's the Hebrew word chesed. And it's part of the character, the love of God, who God is. He is filled with loving kindness, chesed, for you and I. Look at this um, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with chesed, unfailing kindness. When you talk about, when the New Testament talks about the grace of God, it's talking about chesed. When it talks about the mercy of God, it's talking about chesed. When it talks about the love of God, it's talking about this Hebrew concept that God is love. He is full of grace and mercy and loving kindness. And as God has loved you, so you should love one another with that same depth of kindness and goodness and mercy and grace that that should fill your relationships and Jonathan and David's covenant with one another is rooted in the Lord they're saying let's make a covenant in the Lord and as God has loved us so we should love one another so when they bring up the covenant they're saying would you love me with this love unfailing kindness from the Lord Friends, I believe that this world is desperate for the chesed of God. And that when we see, when the world sees it, the testimony of the love of the Father towards one another will be incredible. Kindness in grand ways and small ways. There's a, a, a story not from not from the body of Christ, but just from a dairy queen (laughs) that reflects kindness. It's a true story. It was um, Joel Prusak. I don't know if any of you read this on Facebook. It happened on Facebook. He was an employee of a local dairy queen. 
and he was taking uh, orders, and in line, there was a, a, blind a blind individual and a $20 bill came out of his pocket, and he didn't see it, and a woman behind him in line put, picked up the 20 and put it in her pocket. So Joel, as a Dairy Queen employee, came and said, uh, Miss you should return that 20. And she got really upset and refused to return the 20. What do you do? Customer's always right. Doesn't really work in that circumstance, does it? What Joel did is he took his wallet out and he took his own 20 and he gave it back to the blind man. Blind man took. And then he just went back behind the counter and... Uh, business at Dairy Queen went on as normal. Someone in the line saw that act of kindness and they wrote about it on, um, on Facebook and it went viral. And then Joel got a call from Warren Buffett, the billionaire. He's invested in Dairy Queen and he invited Joel uh, to the... Uh, uh, what is it, the Dairy Queen Investors Meeting. And he said, we want some of that in our investors meeting. The world stops and takes notice at kindness, doesn't it? It sees that, that is good. That, that's, yes, that's right. In the midst of this brokenness and, and rat race and everybody's out for themselves, when that kindness comes, do you know from a Christian perspective, that's how God has treated us. Not based on what we deserve, but based on who he is. And when we live that kindness out, that is this beautiful testimony to the work of God in our lives and in our relationships. All right. So friends, here's the deal. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, slow down for two predominant reasons. One is I believe that he has knit us together with this longing of these kind of sacred, soulful relationships with one another. And the world says, oh, well, maybe on occasion those relationships can happen, maybe in the covenant of marriage. Do you know that's not what Scripture teaches? This was not a, a covenant of marriage where we see this soul being knit to another soul. No, this was friendship. This was sacred friendship. Friends, I believe we've been knit together with this longing and this desire to have these deep and profound relationships with one another. And God is saying, yes, I've filled you with my agape love so that you may have these relationships. And then here's a, the final reason why I think the Holy Spirit had us slow down. Because if we start to do this, if we start to love our spouses in this way, 
If we start to love our children in this way, if we start to love our friends in this way, if we start to love the people that annoy us that we don't like very much in this way, the world is going to take notice. The world is going to see a kindness and a depth of love that is a beautiful testimony to the love of God. Would you press in with me? I, I know there's a, a ch it's challenging. I know that just like David and Jonathan, there's a, a stress from this world that it puts on relationships. But would you keep pressing in? Would you pray with me? Father, I just confess sometimes I am not, I, I, I sometimes don't love especially the people closest to me well. Forgive me, Father. Lord, would you help me, would you help us to learn what it, it means to have these sacred friendships, these soul-to-soul -soul connections. Would you help us to listen and observe for one another your voice, your will, your ways, and your work. Lord, I'm so thankful for your unfailing kindness that you've poured out in my life, in our lives. Would you allow that unfailing kindness, that chesed, to pour from our lives to one another? In your precious and powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.